0: appears to me that I'm going to be eating my words that I said last week of us uh, picking up speed as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. You know, so I'm not even going to take us as far as I told Shirley we'd go this week as I was putting together the bulletin. Uh, but let me assure you, we, uh, we're still moving at a solid pace through this sermon text. I've met, I have met pastors that have taken spoken for an hour on just one or two of these verses. So I, I think we're still moving along at an okay pace could go longer if you guys like (laughs) but all all that is to say there's still plenty to grasp and understand in this amazing text and uh, i'd encourage you guys to look into it yourselves because no pastor can preach through the bible exhaustively if i were to take all the meaning out of every scripture that we go through we'd never get out of genesis 1 1 be here for decades on that one verse. So all that being said, last week we were introduced to an important lens that we're going to view the rest of this chapter through. As, um, and that was the point that unless our righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, we will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Furthermore, that bar will not be lowered To meet us. Not not one dot or iota of the text will be relaxed to let us in by our own righteousness, if you will. But we were reminded, and thanks be to God, that we can rejoice that it wasn't that we're not getting in on our own righteousness, but Christ fulfilled the law for us. So that I'm not getting in by my own righteousness, but by the righteousness of the Lamb who was slain in our place. Through Jesus Christ our Lord that he took the punishment so that I didn't have to that he cleansed me from my sins so that I don't have to earn my way out of it that's not something we do as Christians and we managed to view one topic through this important lens that we're going to be examining uh, murderous anger how that how this section began in, in uh, verse 21 and that um, how the rabbis mistakenly taught that only the act of murder was considered a sin. But as we looked deeper into this text, Jesus corrected their, their interpretation, clarifying that sin begins way before that. It begins in our hearts, not just in our actions. The sin begins in our hearts. When we purpose in our minds and our hearts to do something, when it's simply anger, it's already sinful. Because that's, that passion of anger is what leads to murder, is what leads to insulting others and, and, and mistreating others. That fuel begins in our hearts. And if we're honest, that condemns all of us. We've all been angry without a cause. We've all been angry at, uh, for wrong reasons but but again viewing this through the lens correctly even though we view it this correctly as we are condemned but we rejoice that even that even though we are that unrighteous grace abounds all the more and that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved so what are we to do with this what are we to do with these sins in the mind and sins of the heart especially anger, because anger is so serious before God that if you are angry with someone or if someone is angry with you, what we learned from our text this morning is we deal with it. And we deal with it immediately. As Jesus emphasized in verse 23, saying that if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Before the altar, and go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put into prison. So, there's a lot to be said about this, but first of all, he's saying, deal with this anger, deal with our sins immediately. Come to terms quickly with the other person. And there's a number of reasons for this. Now, first of all, back in Jesus's day, it was if you were going to take someone to court, it was your job to get them and bring them to the court. So you would be with them and you'd be taking them. You'd be walking with them to the courthouse. That gives you a great opportunity to settle it, to settle your differences now between you two. Better that you guys work out some kind of an agreement than you be taken to a judge and potentially throw you in jail. Certainly, working out some kind of deal between you guys has to be that alternative. Secondly, unresolved, bitter, uh, unresolved anger leads to bitterness. And bitterness can last for decades. You know... You've never seen true bitterness until you've seen family members fighting over a will or fighting over a piece of property and that doesn't get resolved and that could end relationships. I've seen it happen. I'm sure you guys have too. It's a horrible thing. Don't let that happen to you. Deal with it while we have the time. And lastly, because it's a sin... It hinders our relationship to God, and it hinders our worship of him. You know, let me take a step back before we take a step forward this morning. I have, um, you know, churches all over the country meet, and they ask questions like, how can we make our worship better? Can we? Maybe we should bring in some hip new music, and maybe that'll make our worship better. Other places say, no, you know, let's do, uh, maybe we need to change up the lighting, maybe put in a disco ball, and maybe we should bring in a fog machine. How about that? I wish I was kidding about that last one, by the way. I've seen it with my own (laughs) eyes. But they're they're saying, how can we make our worship better? How can we do, how can we improve our worship of God? (laughs) The church doesn't need hip new music to worship God. Nor are we opposed to it. We're not angry with uh, with people who do the Christian contemporary thing. We're not mad at people like that. And the church certainly doesn't need a fog machine. But rather, if we want to have a deep, meaningful worship of the Father, we need to worship Him in the way He tells us to worship Him. In spirit and in truth. That we should seek to have this deep level of holiness to our worship. Not flashy things, but but holiness in our worship. And making the things that he values, like, say, reconciliation, make those things as important to us as it is to him. And that will deepen our worship. You know, weeks ago, um, one of our first readings was from Isaiah chapter 1. And you guys, if you guys remember the reading, you know, the reason God had a problem with the worship of the Israelites. He was saying that their worship was being done in vain. He said, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure inequity and the solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary from bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be as white as wool. See, the Israelites were doing all of these expressions of worship. These new moon feasts, these appointed feasts. But it was done vainly. They were doing all of that. Supposedly worshiping God while living in an absolutely ungodly way at the same time. And what does God say about that? He says his soul hates this duplicitous mindset of living one way while saying something else. He says, knock it off. Cease to do evil, learn to do good and reconcile with me. Don't just bring your gifts up to the altar and pretend everything's okay between us. It's not. And frankly, things aren't any different today in many places of worship, if we're honest. Plenty of people walk into the church saying something like, oh, I love the Lord. Uh, Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Weren't you just cursing off your spouse in the parking lot? (laughs) Such things ought not be. God wants us to worship him with our hearts and our actions, never one in expense of the other. It has to be both. That's what his desire is for us. And that's why we do our time of confession in the beginning of each worship service. It's not some... The the point of it is not to be some vain thing that we do because it's just what we do. But to give you guys the pleasure of having a clean conscience towards god for the entirety of our worship service now to remind us all to do it together i mean can you do this on your own of course there's nothing special about us doing it but we do it corporately as a reminder to prepare our hearts and to get assurance from god that we have a received that forgiveness And if me kind of ranting on Isaiah chapter 1 kind of sounds familiar, it should. It's the same thing Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, our text this morning. It's the same message. So in light of that, we're going to be taking communion in a couple of minutes. A beautiful expression of worship. A beautiful appointed feast, if you will. Where... We're going to worship God in such a beautiful object lesson of his blood spilled for us and his body being broken for us. But yet, as beautiful as an expression of worship it is, it can be as useless of a ritual as those new moon feasts and those appointed feasts. If, our, if we're doing it in vain, if we're not doing it from the heart. And you know, I'm going to be honest to make the most out of your worship this morning, some of you might need to make a phone call in between, in between hymns. Some of you might want to grab a loved one and talk out on the front steps. Talk about some words in the parking lot. And I know nothing about any of those circumstances. I'm just, uh, I'm just throwing it out there. You guys know your hearts. Some of you might need to call someone over a business deal that, might have, that could have gone better. And obviously this isn't meant to be exhaustive. I mean, if we have to right every wrong we've ever done to worship the Lord, we'd never get to worship the Lord. That could be a full-time job, goodness. But I imagine that, for some, that as I'm speaking, someone might be coming to mind as I'm talking. There might be a person that keeps coming up in the back of your mind, somebody who's angry with you or there, or that you're angry with them. If someone in particular is coming to your mind, maybe that person deserves our attention this morning. But John, it wasn't my fault. I'm at best 20% responsible for what happened. Well, good for you. That's a good sign. Go and own 100% of that 20%. Make right, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, the Bible tells us. As much as depends on you, own your part. And you might be amazed how often when you own 20% of it, amazingly 100% has a way of working itself out. And by the way, also if we're honest, is it are we ever only 20% responsible? But John... That's gonna be a long conversation. I'm gonna miss communion if I do that. Well, Who ever said that we had to do communion only once a month? And only during the worship service? Mary, is there anything in the Book of Order that says I can't do that? Not that I've ever read it. There well, there you go. So let me borrow Jesus' language for a second from our text today. Let me rephrase it for a moment. Leave the elements at the altar or pew. Go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come back and let us partake together. Come back and let's do it privately or even with a small group of us, if that's what it takes, if that's how the Lord leads this. Yeah, that might be a little bit different, but what I know about the Lord and what I know about my own heart is that if we do things God's way, the worship will be that much more beautiful and that much more meaningful. So, yeah, I'm encouraging you guys to do something a little bit different, perhaps, maybe for some of us, but the Lord is into doing things different, isn't he? I've been said that I've been told years ago that the words of the dead church is we've never done it that way before. Whew. Tough words. And by the way, I, I, I don't miss the irony that it's funny that I'm the guy who was brought in to help with the mission of replanting the church and growing the church. And here I am trying to get people out of the church. The irony isn't lost on me. <laughs> It it is kind of funny. But in my opinion, it doesn't matter how many people are in the pews. It matters how tightly the people in the pews cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and seek his face and seek forgiveness and reconciliation in his name. Because reconciliation, is there any doctrine closer to God's heart? That's what he has done for us. That is what he did on the cross for us. That is the gospel. It's reconciliation. It's what God calls us to do as well. How often does Jesus say in the gospels, Go and do likewise? Forgive and it may be forgiven you. I'm getting ahead of myself. But that being said, maybe it's not a person you need to reconcile with, maybe it's God. I mean, we don't just sin against people. We sin against God every day. We do things that he says we shouldn't. We ignore his offer to draw close and we push him away. Choosing our own paths instead of his. The Bible calls all of that sin. But that's where the good news comes in. That even though we have done 100% of the damage between the relationship, not just 20%, God paid 100% of the price to reconcile us. He paid for our sins on the cross. He demands nothing in terms of our repayment to him. He just asks for that broken and contrite heart. That moment of saying, Lord, I, I confess I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. Forgive me. That's all God asks of us not to work off our sins as some erroneously teach, but no, we, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow, as the old hymn says. And you know, it's one, one final note as we work towards our conclusion. If it's possible for a holy and perfect God to be reconciled to us wretched sinners if that relationship can be restored if that relationship can be reconciled how much more so every other relationship in our lives that teaches me that there is no relationship that could be so severed that there is no hope to reconcile if God can reconcile us to us to him how much more so us to each other that gives hope for every damaged relationship, for every husband and wife, every parent and child, every business relationship, you name it, everything can be reconciled through the blood of the lamb. Not because of our effort or something we bring to the table, but, now, but because we can walk in perfect fellowship with him because of the blood of Jesus that he shed for our sins That gives each of us hope this morning. Thanks be to God. Amen.